This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, friends. Stacy here. I am so glad that you are joining me. I want to begin today's podcast with a scripture. One has meant a lot to me, and I pray it encourages you today. Psalm 46, verses 5 through 7. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that passage. It has been an encouragement to me when I was a mother with young children, and it's an encouragement to me today and the upheaval that's happening in the world and perhaps in your life because things continue to happen. I want to remind you as we begin that Jesus is your safe place. So stay tucked in. Set your gaze once again on him who is good. It's my joy to welcome on today's podcast my son, Blaine. Hi, Mom. Hi, Blaine. This Thank is you so for fun. having me on. It is so fun to be here. It is so great to be sitting across from the table with you with a mic. I got to be on your podcast, your and son's podcast with you and Sam a couple of times, and I loved it. So yay, now you're on mine. Hooray. <laughs> I know. That show spoke to the desperation for mothering so deeply. It was one of our most popular tracks oh, ever. Oh, wow. Wow. What do so you know? So thank you, Mom. You're welcome. So you may be wondering, why is Blaine on today? Well, because Blaine has written a book of stunning beauty called The Paradise King, the tragic history and spectacular future of everything, according to Jesus of Nazareth. And it's available on Amazon. We'll put the links in the bio. It's a gorgeous book, inside and out. And I want him to tell you about it because even if I wasn't his mother, I would want him to tell you about it and how it unveils the reality, the danger, the beauty, and the historical reality of our Old Testament heroes and that they all point to the hero of the ages. It is marvelous. But first, Blaine, before we get to the book, as is my want with my guests on this podcast, I am going to start by asking you some questions about you. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, first off, I'd like to ask you about your love of Jesus. And I want you to take your time answering, okay? You can go hither and yon. But what are some of your favorite aspects of God? What do you love about him? Thanks, Mom. I love that you ask your guests this question. I knew this was coming, so I thought it would be fun to pull up a Google Doc mm. that I keep that's titled Why Jesus. Oh, wonderful. And it lives in my vision folder mm. because if you're anything like me, I can wake up to the beauty of an unbelievable sunrise and feel the presence of God 
And by 11 in the morning, I'm not kidding, not know I am following Jesus. Yes. And that's on a good day. Mm-hmm. On a bad day, it's much worse. So I realized I need a repository of my experiences with Jesus. There's, I love, not to bring a Pope into this conversation, but man, when our boy Ratzinger, by our boy, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but I love his writing, um, wrote about the love of God, Deus Caritas est. Mm. He said, we're not following Jesus because we've seen, for the most part, the legitimacy of the early creeds. We've had an encounter mm-hmm. with a person. And so it's in the subjective territory of my life that I really fall in love with Jesus. So I pulled this up, and I'll just read you a few recent ones that are from the small to the big. They all have this frame. I am following Jesus because. I am following Jesus because I prayed for a hole in the rain, and it held off just in time for me to ride Lincoln Mountain, and then the storm came. Okay, this was a fun one. I love riding a bike. Uh-huh. It's where I spend time with God mm. primarily. Mm. And it was one of those hectic weeks, kids throwing up, Ugh. work chaotic. Uh-huh. And you remember the young kid years because I was your young kid. Yes. And I needed to get out. There was a trail I'd been dying to explore, mm. but it was about a 30-minute drive away, and I was racing the weather it was coming towards me. I was moving towards it. I was like, Jesus, I just need yes. to get out into your world a little bit. And straight up, it was drizzling. The storm pulled back just a little. And I rode this trail. The lightning, thunder, snow, everything started. Got back and it just deluged as I leapt into the car. He held it off. And it was so personal. I could have cried because I needed to know that his face was toward me. Yes. And it was this little touch. I can tell you, not every time I pray for the weather to change, it changes. Just, But sometimes it does. Yes. I, here's another one. Um, I am following Jesus because I needed willow branches. And I got in the car, and I knew that if I looked, I would find them. After the first two sights struck out, I found what I needed at an unexpected site on the side of the road. Emily, my wife, had this great idea to line the children's gardens at our house with willow branches and stakes. I thought it was a good idea, except I thought it was going to be impossible. Because where are we going to get that many willow branches? Then I remember there's a property down the road, tons of willows, and whose property is it anyway if they grow right over the road, and I had clippers in the car. I got down there, and the cowboys were doing a cattle drive that day, so there were people all oh, over. Oh, shoot. And I wasn't totally sure it was legal. Yes. So I chickened out and kept driving. But I really felt Jesus say, if you look, you'll find them. And so I drove, checked a second site where I knew there was this wetland, there was nothing. And I was driving back, and at this turn in the road that I hadn't thought of, there was this storm drain with all of these leveled dead willows next to it. Oh, my goodness. So, you're welcome, El Paso County. I cleared out one of your highway culverts, but in the course of doing that, got everything I needed. And I was just driving home, you know, I'm— in my early 30s. And so we're in the season where it's just permanently financially tight. Yes. And so all provision feels like the love of God. 
and I was driving back with a truck that was just overflowing with dead willows, thinking, Jesus, you know the love language of my soul, Mm. that uh, this speaks to me so deeply. And then Em and I are wired very differently, so whenever we work on a house project or work in the garden, it's like square peg, round hole relationship edition. yes. We had a great time working together that day. And afterwards, we were just praising God, being like, oh, thank you. We do a lot of things on purpose to make it more fun to work together. But when it feels easy, it's such a gift. Oh, yes. So there's a couple stories I could riff on. We haven't got, we haven't, we'll get into because so many of the things that I love about Jesus are the concrete reality of who he is displayed in human history. Yes. That's why I love Jesus as well. But. (sighs) I also love Jesus because of the way he shows up in my life. Yes. The personal, intimate, I see you yes. ways that we so need. I love that you quoted that Pope by saying we need an encounter. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so good. We've had an encounter with a person. It's just so, it's such a relief to remember because in an age like ours where it can all get kind of foggy why is it that I think, why am I doing this? Yes. You can just remember, actually, there is the testimony of your brothers and sisters in Christ across time reminding yes. you, it's because he found you. Ugh. It's because he found you. That's why you're following him. And you can't communicate love in a rational way. It's better not to try. Just tell a story. That is so good. That is so good. And yes, Blaine is going to get to tell the story and read a passage from the Paradise King. And I'm not going to get there yet. So you're just like, oh, come on, do it. Um, Blaine, I do know a lot of your story, but I don't, I don't know all of it, obviously. And you are a committed, passionate follower of Jesus who you love. Um, how, did, how did that come to be? Like a little bit about your journey to that place that you find yourself in now? Yes. Fortunately and unfortunately, weakness and pain Mm. Mm. is how I became Mm. a passionate follower of Jesus. I would probably be better to say an in-process follower of Jesus. I quoted this just recently, but Jerry Sitzer's book on grief, uh, Grace Disguised. Yes, yes, yes. He has a wonderful line in it. And it has to do, he goes, one of the problems for Christians in our time is that they are seeing the sun go down, what feels like the presence of God go down in their life, and they're trying to chase the departing sun. Uh, That's not how you find it. You turn around and run into the darkness. Oh, wow. And I would say there are so many inflection points of life not working. So. All credit to you and dad. Oh. I love the way that you guys displayed following Jesus as I was growing up. So, Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I'll just say it's a huge advantage, mm. okay? And when people ask, wow, your parents are Christian leaders and you still love Jesus, that kind of makes you an outlier. Ah. And I say it was the display of life with God. And- more than any conversation with you or dad that I could point to. So when people are getting prayed for and delivered in our living room, when 
we go through a season of poverty and there's miracle lasagna or whatever it was on the front porch, it makes an impression on yes. a person that yeah. life with God is interesting, <laughs> viable. Yes. If I were to point to a few inflection points, so I think I'm six or seven and we were either at, it might have been Stephen Curtis Chapman concert at New Life Church. Oh, wow. I don't Do even you remember, remember this. this? No, no. Oh, my gosh. Someone who we did, you know, carpool with for charter school got us tickets. And I remember in the middle of that, I can't believe you remember this, they did an altar call. And I had prayed with you upstairs at Choke Cherry. But in the middle of this concert, just the allure of Jesus became so clear. I went up and carpool guy, God bless you, found six-year-old Blaine sitting on the steps of the church, you know, tapping his heels, being like, yeah, I mean, you asked if you want to follow Jesus, come down. I want to follow Jesus. So he went and found dad. Dad came up. And there's kind of, Jesus is so magnetic, right? Yes. I do think that The work of the people of God is to display the beauty of Jesus. The rest will take care of itself. Uh, And the story has ups and downs. When I tell people some elements of these stories, I like to say things as like, yeah, in my most recent crisis of faith or in the crisis of faith I was in in my early 20s or whatever it is where the story that I had so far was not adequate. Yeah. Uh, let me go to another inflection point. I mean, there was discovering intimacy with the Holy Spirit at 18 in California and the play. It was so fun. Uh, that was a deeper allure into seeing Jesus move. I love, there's a idea that in a young person's life, men and women, both God loves to lead them via success. And it's the exciting swashbuckling years of intimacy with Jesus Sometimes the later years are not quite like that. Right. But it's so good that the teenage and 20 years are mm. because Ron Rollheiser, who's a um, spiritual formation writer, says Jesus uses the allure of life with God to seduce us into decisions we would not have the wisdom to make. Mm. Mm. And so seeing people healed. Yes praying for a guy with a torn ACL and he got out of the wheelchair and walked. Not only that, he played the soccer season. Oh my goodness. It freaked him out so bad that when he saw me afterwards, he would give a kind of ha smile and walk the other way. (laughs) That happened because a friend came up to me and said, do you want to see God heal someone? We are at a worship event. I said, of course I do. So we go over and he said, pray for him. And I was like, okay, I mean, if there is any such thing as an amateur prayer, that was an amateur prayer. Um, But I'll give you one more. Oh, good. And which is I was out of college and I was on one of those first points where, uh, guess what, guys? Spoiler alert. In your 20s and 30s, the story that you are telling yourself about your life will probably shipwreck And it's God's design that it would. Mm. You know, it's not like Jesus wants a giant kingdom of unrooted people bouncing around. But to get humans to root, the energy has to run out. The inward journey has to start. Uh, There's one writer who calls young Christians pre-neurotic because they have so much 
energy. They're able to carry wounds with resiliency that honestly becomes harder. Lover yes, on. Yes. He says many people in their late teens, early 20s think they're really loving. They just have a ton of energy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have two kids. I can tell you it's true. It is true. As the energy has life. gone down. <laughs> yeah. I start to ask myself, man, I thought I was a patient person. Now I realize I just didn't have to be patient all that often. Like life was easier before. Mm-hmm. So I'm in one I was in one of those inflection points and I didn't understand how failure fit into life with God. Yes. And it was interesting because it was it was some of those you're in your twenties and there's always some relational shakedown, yes. some vocational shakedown. Yes. Going through some relational stuff. Mm. And I, the interesting thing is, I knew that I was at fault simply because I didn't love the other person involved. And people were like, but you know, honestly, if you look at the working relationship and all these things, it's really that other guy. It's his fault. And I'm like, it's, the problem is, it's just not true. I mean, yes, in a cert, to a certain extent, what's going on relationally is that person. But I know that I don't love this person. And I know that's a failure. And I don't get, how it fits into following Jesus because mm. if the heart is transformed, shouldn't I be able to do the right thing at the right time? Well, at just this time, Jesus brings along a wonderful church of people who had a really clear understanding of some parts of the gospel that I was missing, namely the sufficiency of Jesus in failure, actually the relief of owning failure. So they had a really high premium on repentance. Yes. And I just hadn't developed that skill and I'm still developing that skill. But I come into a context where I'm trying to, you know, do the math in my head in such a way as I come out on top and it's just not adding up. And there's this invitation, you know, to let the covering of Jesus be the security that I relax into. Well, This is so revolutionary for the way that I'm wired. I'm driving in the car one day and I'm headed down to the Spokane River. You Uh know, you got to get into the wild and you have the big questions with God. And I'm like, I just don't get it, Jesus. I don't get how this fits together. Well, I pull up at the river, get out of the truck, and I think, man, this would be so much better if I could be, you know, smoking a pipe of tobacco right now. And I had funny side story for another time. I had a bowl for like a tobacco pipe, but you need like a stem, you know, the, yes. the long Gandalf part that comes yes. off. I didn't have a stem. I'm like, dang it. And Jesus goes, pluck a twig <gasps> off that off that tree. So I went over there and I plucked a twig and it was perfectly hollow. <laughs> and I put it in the pipe and it fit. What? And it was a metaphor for, where Jesus is going, this piece that you're getting mm. fits in with the rest of the story. That you know that you can actually just deeply be in the wrong, own it, repent, and you're fine. This is not the way that my mind works. So it was a real challenge to be like, okay, you're still, you're still okay. You're still secure. You're covered even when you are for sure in the wrong and whatever is going on. Well, it was so dramatic and it was communicated so like here you go magical spiritual pipe stem so that you get the point right yes yeah and it just came home and it felt like something unlocked in my soul of being able to uh 
be open in weakness with God. Mm. And it was so on time, so attentive, so beautiful. It made me love Jesus more and want to talk about it. In that season, I was probably one of my most diehard evangelistic seasons. And so many people were like, it seems like this is kind of all you want to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, this is all. (laughs) You don't get what I'm trying to tell you. You know, the resources of heaven are available. Mm. Rethink your plans for living in view of this new opportunity. That's what I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) So there are a few answers. Oh, man, that is so rich. That is so rich. I mean, my own heart is burning inside going, yes, I need to be reminded of those very truths today. That that thing that you said about I'm not loving, so I have a – there's something going on. There usually is, right? Yes. And then the glory of the sufficiency of Christ that it's not really our job to do it perfectly but to relax into him. Yeah. And so for me to do something like, if that's resonating with you, go, Jesus, I see that I'm not loving, and that's a failure. I ask your forgiveness, God. I receive your blood as my covering. Claim your cross to disarm the claims that have been given to the kingdom of darkness through my failure. And then full of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to show me what to do as a person who's not trying to repay a debt relationally, but just make it on earth as it is in heaven in the way that I relate to people. Come, just show me what my next step is. Is this where you say mic drop? Because that's just glorious and powerful. And yes, <laughs> Ba-boom. So you can see why I have Blaine on and that we could talk forever, just asking him questions and him pulling back the curtain of what he's come to know. Well, I do want to shift the conversation to this beautiful book, The Paradise King. And I do want you to read a portion of it. But before you do that, can you just say a little bit about what it is and and what prompted you to write it? Thanks, Mom. I would love to. The Paradise King is the product of a quest to try and recover Jesus. Mm. It was initiated kind of in two ways. One was several years ago, I was reading Daniel 2. Uh, I'm, you know, we all know the story of Daniel. There are exiles in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all that stuff. But I had been reading about the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which is this unbelievably interesting human story that took place a long time ago. So with that in the background, I get to Daniel 2, and it goes, you know, in the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Something was seized in me because I knew who Nebuchadnezzar II was. And there he was, slouched on his throne, sleepless in Daniel 2. There was an old cardinal in England who said that human beings have what he called the illative sense. We know when we're in the presence of something good and beautiful, numinous and holy. And we do. And you can feel it when you see certain movies or when a certain song comes on, it gets triggered. And all of a sudden you sense the presence of God and creation. The switch flipped. And I could 
feel the presence of God in this story, but I could not put the pieces together. And I wanted to know what it was that I was seeing. Because mm. the whole story is just unbelievable. The pacing of the dialogue, the magicians who come in right. and they tell him. Nobody can do this and all of that. Oh, but even more, I mean, they start, oh, king, live forever. Mm. Tell us the dream and we will tell you the interpretation. Long pause. Nebuchadnezzar goes, I have in my heart that you will fill my mind with lies. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. They go back and forth. This is impossible. Nebuchadnezzar finally says, if no one can interpret the dream, every magician and advisor in Babylon is going to die. And then the story cuts, and it's Daniel getting out of bed. Oh, oh, that morning, Daniel got up. His urgent news was going out through the city. What's going on? I couldn't believe how good the story was. Yes. And then I was also in a season of pain. Mm. And... Uh, it just happened that as I was reading John, all of a sudden, and I, I, I know I'm not the only person who has the experience of looking for Jesus in the Bible, looking for Jesus in the Gospels and not getting it. Uh-huh. And I was reading one of the speeches, you know, John has a lot of long speeches in it. And I just stopped and went, I don't get you at all. And then under that, all of the disappointment with God mm-hmm. that had built up in the background came to the surface. Mm. I felt like Jesus' invitation was, go look. Ah, uh, yes. I love that about Jesus. It was, uh, for me, the right response. Yes. Go look. Great question. Why would someone follow me? Go. Uh, see what you find. And so it began this quest to recover the story of God in the Bible and as I found it, then to share it, right, with you and dad, with Emily, with the kids, in language it was not hard to understand. So I wrote a book eventually that became an epic introduction to Jesus in terms of the story of God in the Bible by adding some of the historical texture, but also by letting the stories, by doing a retelling of a famous story to foreground the beauty of the story and then pulling back to commentate on the text and the interaction and the scholarship because fortunately and unfortunately, the Bible, which is one of the greatest treasures that has ever been given to humanity, has many different genres of many different ages in it. And many of those are quite hard to understand. Mm -hmm. They're very old. The conflict between David and Goliath follows a heroic template from Greek literature. And when you add that in, realizing you're seeing something that originated millennia ago in the heroic age, you know, in Mycaean Greece, reaching its crescendo in a showdown between two divine warriors. It's unbelievable, but there's some digging to do. Yes. So that's what the book is. Yes. And Blaine has done the digging. So what I would love for you to do is, I know you've picked a portion to share, and I would love for you to to read it with us, to us. Is that good? Thank you. I would love to. Oh, good. I picked this story with this Syrio-Phoenician woman. Mm. 
And the background is kind of in the text. So hopefully it will speak for itself if you don't know where this story is in Matthew. Okay. 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 So this, is, this story is found in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Let us call her Hani. That is a good Phoenician name. It means favored, and she was, though she'd never have guessed it. She knew misery too well to think of blessings. In fact, she could not remember how long it had been. Pain is like that. It ruins the bridges between the past and the present, between the present and the future. But the here and now, it stretches forever. Hani did not know how long it had been since her daughter had laughed. She could only just recall, like the last gold light of the vanishing sun, what it had been like before. Her daughter had hands like hummingbirds. She had a chin like buds in the spring. She loved to pretend. In their garden, she was a queen, and the goat was her horse, and the dirt street her ballroom. It changed the night her husband died. He cut his leg, mending the roof. The cut was deep. Nothing would stop the bleeding. He had never been kind, and he died uttering curses. The funeral was fast and cheap. That night, Hani did not weep. But her daughter cried herself to sleep and, in the middle of the night, cried out in a terrible dream. The following morning, she had her first seizure. Be more careful, Hani said as she wiped the blood from her daughter's knees. No queen falls in her own ballroom. She smiled, but there was something in her daughter's face she did not understand. A distant malice peered at her, looking out of her daughter's eyes like a venomous snake gazing from far back in a crack. That had been who knew how long ago now. Now it was pain, day in and day out, and all the days black. Her daughter could not move. She could not speak. She scarcely opened her eyes. Oh, you can believe Hani prayed. She begged any god who would listen. She learned the old stories of Israel and their mysterious Yahweh who saved. But Yahweh did not love the Canaanites. Of that, the woman was sure. There were no gifts to the Gentiles. In Tyre, in Sidon, it was labor and toil and the hot black breath of the gods, and no prophet did they ever receive. And then one day, the news arrived. Are you coming? Hani looked up. A woman was there, a stranger. There were several others hurrying through the street in the direction of the market. What? She asked, rubbing her eyes. The night had been long. The teacher's here, from Nazareth. The news did not register at first. When it did, Hani's heart skipped a beat. He's in the market, the woman said before she could ask. But you better hurry. He comes and goes. Hani rose so fast she hit her head on the door and went inside half blind. Her daughter lay in the corner. Hani bit her lip. There was no one to watch the child. So be it. Hani put water in reach and grabbed her shawl and went out. It was not far to the square. There was only just enough time to rehearse what she'd learned of the Jews. The son of David. That was the name, the rescuer's title. She'd learned it deliberately, practiced it. If that man came within 20 miles of Sidon, she would find him. Now he was here. 
The square was ahead, and she saw with despair that it was packed. There were sailors, soldiers, shepherds, politicians, potters, merchants, beggars, all crowded together like fish in a net. Over their heads, she could only just see the black hair and wide shoulders of the prophet. Please, she said. She tried for a gap in the crowd. Please, I need to speak to the prophet. The people pushed her away. Hush, they said. Everybody wants to speak to the prophet. Hani rose on her toes. There was no way through the crowd. The man stood. She gasped. He was leaving. In desperation, the woman suddenly screamed, Mercy! She called, and a crack appeared in the crowd. She shoved herself in. Mercy, son of David! Have mercy on me! The prophet looked back. His students watched him carefully. Would he talk to a woman? Surely not, right? He did not answer a word, and open contempt appeared on the faces of his disciples. But, but, there was something about him that told her to try. She followed him. Mercy, she screamed. My daughter, she is severely oppressed by a demon. The crowd turned, and many lifted their eyebrows. Not that she cared. She is in terrible pain, she called, and her voice cracked. The prophet walked off. She dogged his heels. Please, she called. She debated what to do. She knew the feeling a man could give off when he wanted a woman to leave, a discomfort like heat on the skin. The prophet did not have it, but his disciples were burning. One of them stepped in front of her. Boss, he said, why not get rid of her? This gal's shrieking up a storm. She did not stop. Abruptly, he turned. He looked her square in the eye. He said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Hani stopped. It was as if he'd read her mind. How often she'd thought those very words, God would send no messenger for her. And yet, here he was. She saw the question in his face. Is that who you think God is? A preferential tyrant who does not see your pain? He waited to see what she would do. She frowned. She bit her lip. She chose and shook her head. No, God was not like that. Lord, she said, falling on her knees, help me. He faced his students then. He locked eyes with one in particular. He said, It is not good to give the children's bread to the little dogs. Isn't that right, Judas? He all but said. Eh, Simon? The disciples winced, something passing between them. No established hatred sounds good, voiced aloud. Though, of course, it's what they thought. The Gentiles were less than dogs. Then there was this woman. Not a dog, but a mother interceding for her child. Hani cut in. Lord, even the little dogs eat the scraps from the Lord's table. She remained on her knees. At last, she looked up, and there were his eyes again. They were not what she had imagined. Oh, he said, and his voice cracked. Woman, 
You are one of the great ones of faith. His disciples swapped looks. That was high praise. Usually, he called them little faiths. They turned back to hear what he said. And I shall make it for you as you desire, he said. In that very moment, her daughter was healed. Now, pause for a minute. I know that many people have a hard time with this story because Jesus seems so cold. But I'm not the only one who reads it in the way above. It is pedagogy. It is a lesson pointed primarily at the disciples, though it would take more than that one event to soften their hearts. In fact, it would be decades before Peter felt at home among the nations or with women. But what about the woman's personal humiliation? I would like you to consider that it is beautiful. Like Mary, she anoints Jesus with her whole life, pouring out not oil, but dignity. It's not too much to believe. Like Mary, he calls her one of the great ones, and wherever the gospel is preached, her story is told. And if you still don't think that's so, the next story in Matthew makes the point absolute. Jesus went and walked by the Sea of Galilee. He remained on the Phoenician side, amongst those who did not belong to Israel, and crowds of people came to him. He healed them, and he cast out their demons, and he fed, if you did not know, upwards of 4,000 people. That is how he provides. That is the answer to the woman's question. He provides not scraps, but loaves. Not what falls from the table, but what is deliberately given. The Messiah's banquet is for everyone who wants in, and it is not leftovers only, but so much abundance you gather the leftovers in armfuls. Truly, as Yahweh, Jesus could say, come to me, all you who have no money to spend, and I will give you the richest of fare. There is an intentional pause here to let the reality of that story, that beautiful truth, seep into our souls. Oh, Blaine, the way you pull back the curtain is breathtaking. Isn't he wonderful? He is. He is so wonderful. And the closer you get to him, the more you know about him the more wonderful he gets. I know. I was reading a scholar, Kenneth Bailey, Uh on that story, among several others. But Kenneth Bailey spent his career writing and teaching in the Middle East and studying the old Syriac translations of the Bible, the sort of lost Christianity of the first several centuries. And what he was able to point out is, guys, there is honor in passing a hard test. This isn't the only time that Jesus gives a lesson to the disciples through an event that's unfolding right in front, but this woman aces it. Also, he goes to that region just for her. Nothing else happens, and it's a long walk, and it floored me to go, that is what you are like, Jesus. That is what you are like. Here is a widow, with a daughter who no one can help. And you went all of the way to get to her. And then you made the point that she was one of the great ones Mm -hmm. of faith. Mm -hmm. And then 
you did one of the, you know, one of the feeding miracles, but it relates directly. Even dogs eat scraps from the master's table. And to not let that question go unanswered, Jesus goes, not scraps, not scraps, plenty, plenty for all to share. And I sat back reading going, wow, Jesus, you are unbelievable. You are beautiful. Of course we want to follow you. Yes, yes. And he is the same Jesus, friends. He has not changed. And he is coming for you even today. He has come. And there's a reason why we are captivated by this king, this king of glory, this majestic savior, this hero of eternity. The great thing about contemplating Jesus is that he wants to get through to you. Yes. It's one of the few disciplines where you have every advantage because he wants to be seen as he is. There is so much misinterpretation theologically, historically, and culturally, but more to the point, there is so much disappointment in our lives. The main obstacle to writing this book was not that I couldn't find the relevant books, but that we had had six miscarriages. Yes. And friends die and and, bro- and just, you know, the list goes on. That was the obstacle where Jesus was actually very eager to meet me and to meet Emily in the sight of pain. Because I love, you know, the Psalms say, even the darkness is not dark to you. Another says, even those who have gone down to dust will kneel before you. The bishop, Tom Wright, Anglican bishop, N.T. Wright, says there is a dark thread in the Old Testament that we are alarmed by until we realize it's the thread we need. And it's this thread that... When you actually get to pain, you don't have to ask Jesus to airdrop in. He's already there waiting for you because he's gone forward into death. So you get to the low moment and, oh my gosh, you were already here. So those things, friends, I mean, Jesus is eager to be seen, to address your disappointment and pain, to remove cultural baggage because you are the prize. Mm. You've been bought with a price, mm. transferred into his kingdom. So I can say there are just few things that are more rewarding or also sometimes more fun than contemplating Jesus. Blaine, I would love for you to just pray a blessing over the listeners. They're in a myriad of different places as they join us today. And I know that this has ministered to them and brought such encouragement. But would you pray for them? Thank you, Mom. I would love to. Yeah, for those listening, God sees you. His face is turned towards you. In your car, at work, at home. Some of you are in interesting places, out in the field or missionaries are uncertain of the future, God sees you. I bless you in the name of Jesus that you would comprehend together with all the saints what is the depth, height, width, breadth of the love of God that you would feel 
the presence of God surround you today, that the dividing lines that build up in time would be gently removed and that your soul can drink in the affection of God, that you can pour your affection back on him. I bless you to know the depth of your security and the affection of Jesus and to know the relief of relaxing into the power that is for you in Jesus. Amen. 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 Yes. Bless you, dear ones. Wow. The name of the book is The Paradise King by Blaine Eldridge. And yes, I'm in agreement that even today you receive a deeper revelation of the beauty of God, that you may become ever more captivated by Him. Till next time. Hi, everyone. This is Stacy Burton, the producer of The Captivated Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you've heard the encouraging teachings offered and the incredible conversations Stacy has had with her guests. So wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. May you be filled with the goodness of his love today, and we look forward to having you join us next time. Thank you.